Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And no nation which expects to be the leader of other nations can expect to stay behind. With the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. You ready to talk politics? <laughs> Don't answer that. Some of you are like, no, stop it. Uh, I know I started the series off talking about this might be a bit offensive, but the candidates are far more offensive and it's just not nearly as offensive. And so hopefully this weekend we'll press into some of our hearts. So, so we've been talking politics. For those of you who are like, the church shouldn't talk about politics. And there's a whole other group like, the church should always talk about politics every week. There should be like a politic time. So uh, for those of you who are worried, concerned, or, or have been, or, or maybe you're watching online because you're like, I'm not going if you're talking about politics. Listen, uh, we're going to talk about it, but I think, I believe this is in a way that uh, is intentional, in a way that I don't have to tell you who to vote for. Come on, let's get out of those conversations. But let's talk about some real talk. So I want to welcome everybody, fellows at RCMU, welcome, East, welcome, West, welcome. Uh, this sermon I'm going to share with you, by the way, I'm going to out it right now, okay? About two years ago, I was on vacation, enjoying the beach. It was amazing. And I'm standing at the beach, and sometimes I know I'm a nerd, I'm a pastor. I like to listen to sermons all the time. It's weird. Just, and so I was listening to a sermon. And the sermon, it was one of those, I'm at the beach enjoying myself, but it kind of wrecked me in a way that I'm like, stop it, I'm enjoying this. But then as I listened to the sermon, it was incredible. I've shared the sermon with many people. It was preached by a guy named Andy Stanley. And I shared it with multiple people. And, and I thought that's how it would land. I just thought, okay, it was a great sermon. And I would just move on. But it hasn't. I can't move on from it. It got stuck. And, and so what I'm going to do is a lot of what I'm going to share with you is a lot of what I learned through his sermon. So I like to give credit when credit is due. So when you hear this, just know a lot of the brilliance is not at all my own. But it has resonated with me in such a way that, well, shoot, if it sticks in my brain for two years, I got to share it with you. And so I wanted to contextualize it rather than just show you the video. I think there's some things that we need to talk about intentionally amongst ourselves. But I wanted to give credit where credit was due. So here's what we've been doing in the series, though. Because what I'm going to talk to you about is your rights. Yeah, we're talking about rights and, and what you and I have the right to do and what we have the right to experience. And so how we've led through this is we've already shown you uh, an interview I had with Senator Thune, who in theory, when you think about when we elect someone, they're going to D.C. to help us have our rights, defend our rights, maybe create new rights. So we showed that interview and he gave us a great deal of time. It was really good. Well, this weekend, I want to show you another interview, different person, Representative Noam. 
Uh, she has been representing us in D.C., in other words, uh, and fighting for our rights, defending our rights, and, and making sure that, in theory, that, that she's representing us in D.C., and so she gave us time, and I thought it's pertinent for those of us who vote, and we vote blindly. I don't want you to vote blindly. So we went to another elected official. So I want you to sit back wherever you're at and sit back and listen to my conversation with Representative Noam. Take a look at this. I imagine you've hit some memorable moments, moments that you would say that was uh, maybe extra special. Any of those? Most of the things that are the most memorable for me is when I felt my heartbeat changed. Uh, at the first year I was in Congress, I was kind of miserable just because I realized how broken it is out here and that it was going to be very hard for me to get things done. Um, hard to get bills passed. There's not a process like there is at the state legislature. If I have a bill, it may never get a hearing. Uh, and so I was realizing that and I kept thinking, God, why did you put me in this place and how am I supposed to get things done because it takes so long? And, uh, and there was an instance of meeting several individuals one was I met a gal that was cleaning one of the office buildings that was in the restroom. She was a maintenance worker and sobbing when I walked into the restroom. And I asked her, you know, what was wrong? And she, her son had just been arrested. Mm -hmm. And so I prayed with her and then uh, hugged her and left. And uh, about a week later, I was in my office late one night. It was 10, 1030 at night. And one of the cleaning ladies came in and was emptying garbage cans and stuff. And I ended up offering her a cup of coffee and we sat down and talked for a long time. And she said, you know, I've worked in these buildings for over 20 years. I don't think I've ever had a member of Congress offer me a cup of coffee and to visit with me. And it was like God all of a sudden showed me, maybe this is why you're here. You know, you thought you were here to pass big bills, to change legislation, and you can, and you can do that. But, but maybe I put you there to minister to people. You know, people that, that people walk by every single day and don't pay any attention to, or even maybe other members of Congress who never have people bold enough to speak into their lives. So, so you mentioned God yep. quite a bit, and I'm, I'm assuming here, but tell me what, how God affects you, your faith affects you, and what you do in D.C. Oh, it affects everything. Uh, it's, I've, I've never been able to separate what I do every day from, from how much I love the Lord. So uh, for me, it's been the only reason I'm here. It was because I wanted to be obedient. Mm -hmm. People had asked me to run for Congress for a couple of years, and I was a farmer and a rancher, and that was not something I ever wanted to do. My dream was to farm and ranch with my dad, and he was killed in a farm accident. So at that point in time, my whole life was different than I imagined. I farmed for 20 years with my family, but when people started to ask me to run for Congress, that just wasn't something that I had thought about doing. But it got to the point where I'm worried about that we're being disobedient. You know, maybe God wants us to do that, and by us not really wanting to jump into this political world, we're being disobedient to what he wants us to do, so. What have you learned about leadership? You, you work with people nonstop now, uh, you, and you have, even on a ranch, you work with people. Yeah. But what have you either, maybe it's been confirmed or you've learned about leadership since doing what you do now? Uh, without a vision, the people perish. You can get anybody to follow you down a path of a solution if they know where you're going. But if you're doing something just to do it or for self gain, um, you, you, you can't find people that are willing to get on board that train. Um, you know, one of the famous sayings out here is that a leader with no followers is just a man out for a walk. And that happens a lot out here in Washington, D.C. Uh, but people only follow you when they know where they're going. 
And so I've just learned that often the person who provides the best leadership is not the person who holds the title. You know, it's the person that you can trust to get an honest answer from, that you know works hard and is going to build consensus, not drive people apart by creating conflict. These are either or questions. Oh, okay. So you get to choose. Sounds great. And, and there's no right or wrong okay. for the most part. Uh, and, and you can decline any of these if you want okay. to. Okay. You can just pass. I rarely do that. Like, okay. I always have an opinion, so <laughs> okay. that's a good thing to know about me. Okay. Uh, Chinese or Italian food? Good Chinese. Good Chinese, okay. Uh, yeah. Or add anything, barbecue, what? Good you Chinese. know, I usually have to live on protein bars out here, so if it's okay. warm, I'm going to eat it. Okay. <laughs> if you got to choose, and I know it's not healthy, but you got to choose between cake or pie. Oh. That's, I mean, it's always cake. You could say cake or anything. <laughs> cake with lots of frosting. Okay, yeah. okay. Okay, we're gonna go to superpowers. Would oh. you rather be invisible or read minds? Read minds. Okay. Yes. Would you rather go back in time to meet your ancestors or go in the future to meet your future great-grandchildren? Oh, great-grandchildren. Okay. Because they would think I was awesome. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, would you rather win the lottery or live twice as long? Oh, win the lottery. Okay, yeah. I like it. Well, thanks for taking the time. Oh, I know you're busy. Absolutely. So thank this you for taking fun. the time. And thank you for serving and for... Oh, we love it. For ministering to folks. Yeah. This is a time and day where we, we need more people ministering to hearts. There's a lot of hurt in the world. Yes, there is. So I got to have fun with them. I mean, it, you, seriously, when you're sitting there, by the way, you're wondering, where were you? And I, I'm wearing a blazer. I know it's like, you're here like, oh, that was you. And, uh, but it, <laughs> so, so it was fun, though, to, to talk to him about food. But, but you need to know wh whether you, you voted for her or not, she's there to defend, fight for, establish maybe rights, your rights, my rights. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And if you don't know this about the United States of America, it's that we are unique in that we have a Bill of Rights. Now, I know I grew up going, okay, probably every country has the Bill of Rights. That must be standard. See, in fact, many of our conversations now about politics are about who has the right to do what. In fact, a lot of the controversy in politics is about rights. And you need to know the Bill of Rights is very unique to us. And some of us, we slept through class. We don't remember talking. Well, we know we're supposed to know it. But let me show you some of the Bill of Rights. Uh, we just list form, you know, the right for free speech, good or bad, whatever. Uh, the, the press can do stuff, whether you like it or not. Whether, I don't know which one you watch. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or tell me who you watch or listen to. Uh, we have the right to, to, to assemble. I, I don't have to send a letter each week. Dear government, uh, may we meet at one of our locations or any of our locations? You and I have the right. And if you're like... There's lots of countries that such a letter must be drafted, and it's often declined. Uh, religion. You, you and I, get, in theory, get to you know, have freedom of religion. Uh, bear arms. I thought there would be like amens or something to that, but don't, okay. I know in South Dakota, I know it's controversial. We don't know if we can. Uh, due process. You have the right for due process. Good thing. Jury trial. Most of us do not celebrate when we get information that we're going to, uh, well, have jury duty, but we're grateful that that's a part of the process rather than some ambiguous person just says you're, you're guilty. Uh, search and seizure, freedom from that, and cruel and unusual punishment. That's good. Glad they wrote that in there. And quartering of soldiers. That seems a bit antiquated, but it was written so that you know, a group of soldiers couldn't knock on your door and be like, mm, your house is ours. 
So, this is there. If you've never read it, if you forgot it, this is a summary, by the way. You ought to go study it and learn it. I know that sounds boring, but you should, because this is unique to us. And this is unique. I'm not trying to champion the United States of America. I'm just trying to point something out. This is unique to us. Now, the folks that wrote this were very intelligent people. And in fact, they knew that in writing out rights, someone along the line would say, are those our only rights? Because it's anytime you make a list, right? You're like, well, is that all you care about? Is that the only thing that's important? Would it change? Would it adjust? What would happen? And so a part of the Bill of Rights is the Ninth Amendment. Here's what it says. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Now, many of us will pretend like we understand what that just said. We're like, that's good. I'm glad that's in there. Wonder what it says. Wonder what it means. So to rewrite it and to put it into, into current culture, let me take that, well, for those of us who don't normally read stuff like this, let me reword it and put it all together in a different way, and I think this will make sense. That was saying, you and I have the right to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't interfere with anyone else's amended Ninth Amendment rights. Now, <laughs> some of us are like, that sounds kind of selfish. But, but you got to look at it. See, it wasn't designed to be that way. It wasn't designed to be selfish. See, you and I live in a drastically different time than when this was originally written. And none of us really get it. I mean, come on, let's be open. We don't truly, fully understand what it was like, let's call it back then. See, they were assuming some things. And see, when you and I talk about rights, I don't know how you were raised. Some of us were raised well. Some of us were raised poorly. Some of us had to raise ourselves. And, and so you're like, okay, rights, rights, rights. Here's the danger in rights. See, many of us, we talk about rights. We want rights. We fight for rights. We vote for people based on the rights they're going to give us. But when you remove responsibility from rights, if you just demand rights, there's danger. In fact, here's how this is best worded, I think. Individual rights must be coupled, connected with individual responsibility. There must not be a singular conversation anymore where all we talk about is who can do what. But isn't that, frankly, what the conversation has come to? The political conversation now is who gets to do what legally? So I hope you're thinking, because I, I know fountain springers are highly intelligent. And I know they're like, okay, Bill of, Bill of Rights. That sounds awesome. Many of us like, that's amazing. You should be asking a question. If you aren't, don't feel bad, because I've already seen the sermon, so I can help us with this. Here's the, here's the question. Why is there no Bill of Responsibility? If it's imperative, right? that we have rights, which is amazing and good. Frankly, none of us want to live in a place where there are no rights whatsoever. So rights are good. But I think many of us, especially, come on, in South Dakota, I mean, I don't know where you're listening right now, but in South Dakota, we, we believe there should be some responsibility. In other words, do something, right? Like, don't just take your rights and say, yeah, I get to do this. There should be responsibility brought to the table. And so many of us, if you have ever thought about this, maybe you haven't, 
Many of us should be thinking, okay, the Bill of Rights, awesome. Why did they not draft as well a Bill of Responsibility? And in fact, many of us wish they had, but they didn't. And I can tell you why. See, see if you think about this as parenting, I don't know if you've ever parented grandparent. You get this when there are kids around you who want everything in the world but don't want to have to do anything for it. I got to tell you, as a dad, I am very grateful to tell you that my kids think they're slaves. <laughs> it's good parenting. <laughs> I have been accused. I'm, I'm not even putting words in their mouths. I have been approached by some of my children that I will not name. I'm like, Dad, you're treating me like a slave. I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> and now, no, you need to know. Some of you are like, oh, we're going to report you. Don't report me. I'm just listening to this. It's, it's when they have to help clear the table and put those dishes in the dishwasher, and they're like, I mean, come on. And I get to remind them, uh, uh, do you have your own room? Do, do you like the air conditioning or the heat that is on right now? Do you enjoy that? That's great. That's, that's and they begin to misunderstand or not pay attention that there is a responsibility, right? A good family, everyone has responsibility. Now, when they're three or two, I mean, they're limited, okay? But but everyone should have a responsibility. That's good family. That's good relationship. That's good leadership. So why? Why was it not drafted? I'll show you. Here's the first part. There's, there's three of them. A consensus of conscience. They made assumptions that there would be this a consensus of conscience. And now this is wordy, but this is all in their writing. They believed when they were drafting the Bill of Rights, they believed that it was obvious that everyone would know what was right and wrong and would follow their conscience. Unfortunately, we aren't as good at that as we used to be. And many people would argue about what is right and what is wrong. And when I say they have assumptions, I know nowadays when we say the word assumptions, it has negative connotations. These are good assumptions. I think these are pure and good, but they assumed in not drafting along with the Bill of Rights, a Bill of Responsibility, they were assuming that you and I and forever all would just know right and wrong, would make choices based out of that. And you and I know ain't happening anymore. Here's another one. Divine accountability. Now, this gets a bit controversial because I know some people are like, we're a Christian nation. And some are like, no, we're not. And I can tell you from the writing, that it was assumed that there was a higher being. There was a God that was the creator. And they believed and assumed and inferred and projected into their writings that we can write a bill of rights because everyone for all of time is going to be grateful and acknowledge that all of this is available by the one who made us. You can read it in the writings and there's all of this addressing who made us the creator and all that. I'll show you some of that. But when they were writing the Bill of Rights, they're like, all right, all right, we're assuming that everyone will know right from wrong, and we'll also assume that everyone's grateful for the fact that they're even born, <laughs> that the Creator made them. That's not the last one. Here's the third assumption. It's a bit wordy. Individual expression was governed by concern for other individuals. What this means is uh, there was an assumption that you would never allow your rights to hurt someone else. You would never allow your rights to stop a conversation and to mistreat someone. There was this assumption that not only would we know right and from wrong and acknowledge that God has made us and that actually everything is accountable to God, but also that we would care about other people. And that has gone out the window, unfortunately. In fact, you can even see a lot of these assumptions 
in the Declaration of Independence. So for those, again, you slept through class, don't worry, I'm here for you. Uh, here we go. We hold these truths to be self-evident. I highlighted it to show you, in other words, we think this is a pretty obvious conversation. They're writing like, okay, what we're going to tell you, these truths, these, these rights, we find them to actually be obvious. <laughs> that all men are created equal. Can on created. That they are endowed by their capital C creator with certain unalienable rights. I practice that word, unalienable uh, rights. Now, if you're not catching, they're, they're saying, we believe that it is stinking obvious. I'm doing my own commentary here. But it is so obvious that our rights are provided to us by God, by our creator. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You need to know that when you and I read the draft and we understand that we have rights, there were assumptions. And in boiling this all together, they believed that you and I would always know that our rights are allowed by God himself. And most of us would acknowledge that does not seem to be the same train of thought anymore. That is not the common thread woven throughout our nation. And many of us are part of a conversation, are we or aren't we a Christian nation? Were we or were we not? And we're just missing the whole thing. That that's a question that does not solve anything. See, uh, one of our presidents, our second president, he even wrote about this connection between God and rights. And I'll show it to you, John Adams. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So when you look at who drafted and why they drafted the Bill of Rights, let me example it this way. They believed that they could establish a Bill of Rights, yet it would be anchored by morals and a belief in God himself. So what happens when morals change? What happens when God is not the center of conversation? What happens when accountability is no longer seen as God is the ultimate authority? See, our rights become tension. And I'll show you. Here, here's the conversation. Here's, here's how it was boiled down for me that I think resonates with me so much. When my rights infringe on your rights, who's to say who's right? Welcome to the United States of America. Yay! <laughs> this is where we're at. This is who we are now. You may not like it, and you need to know about life. Our church believes strongly that people can change. But this is where we're at right now. And that's why a lot of the controversies, that's why politics is such a hot topic, especially nowadays, because it's about who has what right, and how does that infringe on my right. And this has brought us to a conversation that puts, replaces God as God, creator as God, and now law is God. Not for real. I mean, I'm not telling, God is still God. God is not going to surrender his throne. But regarding our minds and how we think and how we govern and how we talk, it, and this isn't just about America, this is the world, law has become the conversation. We have boiled it all down to law. And let me tell you something about law. This is very basic. The law represents the minimum requirement. 
I mean, some of you are you're looking at me like, like you're holier than thou. It's fine, whatever. Uh, okay, let's say the speed limit were to be raised. You're like, no, actually, I think it's better that we drive at 55 miles per hour. No, you don't. You follow the law. The law is your bare minimum. In fact, some of you are like, oh, that's just a suggestion. That's not a law, David. <laughs> I would not out yourself in this group because there are law enforcement. Uh, but just think about this. You and I get this. The law represents the minimum requirement. That's why you and I talk this way and ask this way. Oh, so what do I have to do? Welcome to Conversations with Teenagers. Like, what's the line? I mean, I remember growing up, I asked my youth pastor, my parents, everybody, what's the line? Tell me the line. Tell me, like, where do I get in trouble and what's the rest of the life that I get to experience? You and I do that, and that has been what has happened to us. The law represents the minimum. And so listen, some of us, your whole political conversation has been about what law gets put in place. You need to raise your conversation. That's where we get offensive. Many of us are so concerned about what laws are in place, and you're setting this minimum standard. Think bigger. Think bigger. Let me show you something about the law. The law doesn't inspire greatness. It doesn't inspire excellence, doesn't bring about excellence, and it doesn't bring about virtue. No one says, you know what, I need inspired today. Do you have a law book around? I just want to kind of thumb through and just, I just need my soul filled today. No. And in fact, if I asked you how many people have tons of law books in your house just for random, like, just helpful moments when you're down, most of us would be like, no, if you're a lawyer, maybe you got one, but most of us don't do that. Because the law is not designed to bring about a moral society. It's a, here's what you can't do. And many of us have relegated all of our conversations, all of our thoughts, all of our stresses to what laws are in place. And you think if there were certain laws in place that all of a sudden we would be a Christian nation? And I have to tell you, no, we won't be. So here's the worst of the worst of the worst news. We have individual rights regulated by law. That is the United States of America. If you're wondering, like, so what's the good? Well, it used to be we have individual rights regulated by God. And now it's law. And if you don't understand where this takes us, that means to be an American nowadays means you and I have the right to be as selfish as we're legally allowed to be. that's not a good place to be. In fact, I thought Andy Stanley listed out where this leads us. If you live in a world that is governed by law and law is God, law is the ultimate thing. It's only what's legal. Watch this. Here's what happens. In the end, the rich rule the poor. Women are a commodity. Children are victims. If it's legal, it's moral. Law informs conscience. In other words, it's only wrong if the law states it. And everybody looks for a loophole. Yay! I had to tell you all of that. Because you and I, I think as Americans, whether what generation you have grown up in, many of us see uh, in America and the political conversation has been so about Republican and Democrat or whatever party you're a part of. And, and I think we're missing the right conversation. 
And it is my privilege to hopefully interrupt the wrong conversation and bring up the right one. And so if you're hopeless at this point in the sermon, that was the goal. Sorry about that. Because <clears throat> that's where I was. If, if, if you're hoping to, to find something, what do we do? How do we do this? What's the step? Well, this is not actually a new conversation. What I would tell you right now is that the United States of America doesn't know how to be free anymore. We don't know how to walk in freedom. We don't know what to do with freedom. We've begun to abuse our freedoms, demand our freedoms, where we've become a rights-driven society, where if you want to know why people sue people, it's because you didn't get what you thought you deserved to get, and it's a whole rights conversation. And that is not at all modeling anything that Jesus was about. And so a long time ago, there was a group of people much like you and I, they had been living and governed by the law. They had a whole list, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws. And, and, and they, had, they attached them to God because God had helped them draft them. And so they would just follow law after law after law after law and tons of them. And then all of a sudden, a guy named Jesus shows up, son of God, and he dies and resurrects from death and says, hey, I can save you. I can forgive your sins. And he changed everything. He says, if you follow me, if you, if you believe that I am your Savior, everything changes. And they went from having to follow this list of rules where Jesus himself said he, he just fulfilled the law. And he presses in and helped you and I, I think, learn some incredible things in life. So good. And so after Jesus went up to heaven... The church began to spread out, out all over the place. And the way they did that was they would write letters after they got established. A guy named Paul in particular wrote a lot of them. And he would send letters. And he sent letters specifically to the church in Galatia. And he, they, they didn't know how to live with freedom. They're like, we've been following the law. We've been all about the law for like ever. We don't know how to live free. So he's like, I got this for you. Don't worry. Let me write some, write some cool notes. It's going to go in the Bible. Right? And he sent them a letter. And, and here's what he said, Galatians chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, the reason he calls them brothers and sisters is not because they were all related. I know many of us are new to the Bible, but this is, this is what Christians called each other. It was seen as family. That's why we as a church talk about we're family. So he writes this letter. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And they're like, yes, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Oh, does it not sound like today? He's saying, hey, I know you're struggling with how to, how to live as free people. And because we've indulged the flesh, which if that's new, that means just satisfying whatever desires you want to satisfy. If you have a desire, do it. <laughs> that's today's current culture. But that was a long time ago current culture. He's like, hey, I know you don't know what to do with your freedom. So, so here's some words of wisdom. Don't use your freedom, to, your rights, to do whatever you want to do. And he keeps writing. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. 
So he's given us wisdom. If you aren't catching, I hope you're making this extremely personal. I hope you're taking this and pressing it straight into your soul going, wow, I've been rights driven. I've been so concerned with who's going to put what law in place. I've been having the wrong conversation. The right conversation is, are you serving other people humbly in love? Are you electing people who will serve other people humbly in love? And you might say, there isn't anyone running who will do that. And you might be right. But that doesn't end the conversation because as we talk about frequently as a church, the conversation should not start with what other people are doing. The conversation should start with what am I doing? Are you serving other people humbly in love? That's what you're supposed to do with your freedom. I know many of us are like, what do I do with this freedom? This is incredible. In fact, some of us don't even know to ask that question because we were born into this freedom and we don't appreciate it. So he, he keeps writing. For the entire law, sound familiar? <laughs> For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. He's speaking to a group of people who are 100% consumed with getting law at the table, saying, did I do good today? Did I do bad? What was the bare minimum? Did we meet the bare minimum? It was a law conversation constantly. And if you're always talking about law, if you're always focused on law, you can't enjoy and live in freedom. So he's writing, he's like, all right, here's what you do with your freedom. Serve each other humbly. And if you're not understanding what I'm saying, let me boil everything down from the law into one command, and he says this, this, this is why our country is broken. This is what frustrates us. This is the deficit that we ought to be devastated by, is that we as a nation have stopped serving each other. Because we look at people, what do, you, what do you believe? How do you vote? Who's your favorite candidate? What choices did you make this week? And all of that becomes some sort of a quotient for us to decide if we're going to love and serve people. And for decades, the church has isolated itself more and more and more and more and become what they call the holy huddle. Because we don't want to be involved with other people that could contaminate us. And then what wrecks us is we look at what Jesus did. He hung out with some people. <laughs> he hung out with some people, frankly, that I still believe some people who call themselves Christians would refuse to hang out with. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you doing this? See, the hard part is when they don't love back. In fact, some of us, we've read, we've read the Bible and we know the Bible and it talks about love each other the way you want to be treated. Treat each other the way you want to be treated. And we interpret that, treat each other well so that they'll treat you well back. And it becomes a bit of a selfish motivation. Come on, church, let's be, let's be open and honest. Is we often treat people nice so that we can get the promotion. We can get the girl. We can get our kids to like us. 
We have these motives, don't we? And the Bible does not say, so that. The Bible says, love each other the way you wish you were loved. It does not say to siphon out the people who you don't like or who have hurt you or you don't agree with. Know everybody. Love your neighbor. Love the people around you. Love them. Love them aggressively, intentionally. And by the way, if you're like, well, that sounds neat. (laughs) But it also sounds like you're smoking something, David. Because I know some of us are we're so jaded now. Like, sure, of course, of course, our world would be better if all of us as Christians. And I'm saying this can only apply to Christians. If you're not a Christian, everything I've talked to you about, you can just sit back and like, doesn't apply to me. But if you're a Christian, you signed up for this. And what happens if we don't do this? This is not about creating some sort of a voting block. Come on. Think bigger. This is about helping the whole world know who Jesus is. And if we don't, here's what happens. It's what's happening right now, Galatians 5, 15. If you bite and devour each other, which we are, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. That's what's going on. And so my intent has not been to devastate any of us or to rob us of hope. Here's what I believe. The world can still change. If you have given up on the fact that we can change our world, borrow some hope from me because I still believe. I still believe that Jesus is the hope that everyone is desperate for. And if we as a church, if we as Christians were just to start to serve each other, we would show people who Jesus is and hardly have to say a stinking word. It'd be like, why do you love me so much? Well, Jesus saved me. So in Andy Stanley's sermon, he unfolded some application points that I thought could walk themselves all the way to South Dakota and apply to us. So here's what you and I are supposed to do. You can grab a hold of one or all of them. Do what's just, not what you can justify. Oh, not what you can justify. If you don't know how to walk this out, essentially doing what's just means you walk into a situation and you say, how can I help? If you you wanna revolutionize your parents, kids, listen to me. Just walk up to your parents and say, hey, how can I help today? Get them some water while they're laying on the floor, passed out. (laughs) When they wake up, Remind them of what you said. How can I help? Spouses, we just got done with a series not long ago. Same principle. What if you and I showed up to work and said, it's not about what you've done for me. How can I help? Instead of saying, well, this isn't my job. This isn't in my job description. How how can I help? Here's another one. I thought this was good too. Do what's responsible, not what's permissible. Oh, see, many of us right now are doing things just because we can get away with it, not because it shows people who Jesus is. Here's the third one. Do what's moral, not what's modeled. Unfortunately, right now, the the trend for us as a culture is to draft our new moral code based on what is being modeled. And we rewrite it about every five to ten years now. 
Do what's moral. If it's right, do it. And don't rely on culture to tell you what is right. Here's the last one. It boils it all down. I mean, this is it. Honor God. When you make decisions and choices, and you're like, should I do this? Just ask the question, does this honor God? Does this bring a smile to God's face? Does this remind people about Jesus? And if it doesn't, I'd back off. So let me take you back. I gave you a quote from John Adams. Well, he wrote a lot of stuff. Uh, Let me show you some more from John Adams. Posterity. For those of you who have not opened up a conversation lately, going posterity, which if you have, you weirded out a bunch of people and you didn't know it. This means, I'm not going to change his words, so I'm going to explain his words. His words mean next generation to come, the generations that will follow me. Posterity. You will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. He was right. That's why I told you we don't get it. We just don't get it. Starting a country from scratch? Come on. We don't get it. We don't get the cost. We don't get that they didn't have a model to really draft from. He said, hey, this this incredible life that you have, this freedom, you're not going to get it. But I want you to try. So he adds more to this. I hope you will make good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. Ooh, Ooh, that should hurt. This is why you and I should not be a a law-driven group of people demanding and upset about this or that regarding what law is in place. You and I should be upset. Does our neighbor know who Jesus is? And if they don't, what do you do about it? Serve each other humbly. Love each other the way you want to be loved. And frankly, if you're looking for a candidate that will model this, you will not find them regarding the presidential candidates. You're not. Next week, I'll talk to you about how I'm going to vote. My process of thinking on how in the world am I going to write something on this piece of paper. I'm going to talk about that next week. But, but this week, listen. Are you serving each other humbly? Because if thousands upon thousands Millions upon millions of just Christians were to start serving each other. Do you understand how much that would mess with the devil's plans? And we've let bad examples determine our conversations. And I refuse to let that happen to me. My kids may not know a United States of America like what my grandpa knew. But my kids will know that no matter who leads us, how they're going to live their lives and how they should. And that's what we should be passing on. Change your conversations and start serving each other humbly and see what God can do with it. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the privilege of being in a country where we still have so many rights. 
forgive us for thinking that they were our hope. God, I pray for our country. Not that our country would be the best. Not that our country would be the richest. But that our country would show the world who you are. That's our prayer. God, use our church to help us show people who you are. And I promise we will not waver from that mission. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.